From the Hype HQ studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast, season 12. Hello, everybody. My name is Raj Nation, and I am the founder of Startup Hype Man. I help startups stand apart from their competition and stand out to their audience with storytelling, messaging, and pitches that perform. In this podcast, you'll hear my conversations with startup leaders from around the globe as they share a slice of their company's story, stories on growth, scale, successes, and failures, all to help you and your company grow up and ultimately stand out. Before we begin today's episode, I'd like to invite you to join the email newsletter that doesn't suck. That's right, if you head to startuphypeman.com and enter your email address, first you'll get my free SaaS masterclass, but you'll also get updates whenever you release new episodes, plus my storytelling tips and advice periodically throughout the month, and helpful resources from Startup Hype Man partners. It's the newsletter that doesn't suck, available at startuphypeman.com. All right, speaking of things that don't suck, let's begin today's episode of Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, making her way to the microphone from Thiru Anantapuram, Kerala, India, and currently <laughs> residing in Chicago, Illinois. She is the CEO and founder of Zinda.xyz. Please welcome Deepa Kartha. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> are you are you excited to be on the show now? After that, of course I'm excited to be on the show. With such kind of an announcement, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she is Deepa Kartha. She's the founder and CEO of Zinda.xyz, a SaaS platform that engages and mobilizes employees towards strategic company initiatives. Over the last few years, Deepa has been able to grow the company. They've got several customers on board now. And as you look towards the future, um, our topic today is finding the right customer acquisition strategy. Can you give us a little brief on why that's on your mind and why it's important to you? Sure. Um, as with any SaaS company, you would think that from a customer acquisition strategy, Every pundit tells you that, hey, it is really all about completely hands-off, completely digital marketing, and which is what I tried for about two years. And uh, that, is, that is what my learning was, that it really doesn't work that way. So now with 2020, I've got a completely new um, strategy for customer acquisition. So it's definitely top of mind for me. I'm very interested in learning more about that. Before we do, let's learn more about you. So... We mentioned where you grew up, Thiru Anantapuram in Kerala uh, versus being in Chicago now. Can you tell me sort of what type of environment did you grow up in and what do you feel were maybe the top one or two things you learned growing up in that environment? Sure. So biggest difference here, it is 30 degree Fahrenheit, there it's 30 <laughs> degrees Celsius. So that is the biggest difference <laughs> uh, between the two. But apart from that, I really grew up in a very um, uh, middle-class, conservative uh, Indian family there. Uh, my biggest uh, pastime used to be reading books. And uh, so I, I, I was a nerd, you know, growing up in India. So uh, my, I, th I think the biggest thing that I learned with, from my childhood growing up there is really all about family values, um, uh, you know, uh, understanding how to navigate within the social construct. Uh, and really having a great sense of appreciation for the uh, culture and tradition of India. So that is really what I've, you know, uh, my biggest takeaways from my um, 
a bringing in India. What would be a favorite or top book on your list that you remember reading from your childhood? <laughs> it actually is a lot of the uh, traditional Indian books. Okay. So uh, there is, uh, you know, uh, India has tons and tons of books. And a lot of them actually is in Sanskrit. So most people don't read it. But there are tons of translations for kids. So I used to read a lot of the kids' translation of Ramayana Mahabharata, that kind of stuff. Okay. That used to be my favorite things, uh, you know, uh, growing up. As I said, I'm a little bit nerdy, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's, it's all stuff that I'm, I kind of pushed away as a kid, but I'm starting to learn again now. Uh-huh. So a lot of that is around Hindu mythology. Do you feel yep. like taking in some of those stories early on, did it make it harder or easier or neutral when you enter the business world and, and things are just very straightforward? Right. You know what? You know, the interesting thing is that the mythology, when you learn it, it's all simple because you, they try to make the story simple so people can understand it. And now, you know, just like what you were saying, um, Raj, I'm actually in the process of kind of going back and rediscovering things beyond the mythology. And that, I believe, is very, very applicable in today's business world. Uh, not from a very surface kind of perspective, because from a surface kind of perspective, things seem very you know, cut and dry, uh, you know, standard kind of um, interactions with people. But what you realize is that behind the scenes, between the lines, there is a lot more nuancing to uh, how businesses work and how people interactions work, which if you read some of those, you know, philosophies, um, it's very helpful. You know, it's very helpful to navigate people interactions and, uh, you know, dealing with circumstances. Yeah, I think one of the great things about whether it's Hindu mythology, Greek mythology, uh, any Abrahamic scripture, ultimately all it's doing is trying to get to the core of how do people relate to one another, how do people interact with one another, which business at the end of the day is how do you work with, relate to and interact with other people. So I can imagine it would be very helpful in that Mm -hmm. sense. Talk to me about how you came to the U.S. then from Kerala. What what events led to that and, and what was the reason? Sure. So I did my engineering. So in India, you either become a doctor or an engineer. Uh, <laughs> that was it. Nothing else. <laughs> nothing else was there at all. So I actually did my computer science and engineering. And um, we, I came to the U.S. Uh, actually because of my husband. Uh, you know, we got married and we were going to settle in Bangalore. We had everything set. We had a flat. We had a car. You know, we came back uh, to the flat. My husband went to work, came back and said, oh, I need to go to the U.S. And I'm like, okay, then <laughs> let's do it. So that, so that was pretty much it. So he came to the U.S. because that's where his work was. And I ended up joining him as well. And, uh, you know, eventually find a, found a job and uh, eventually started a business. What was that like, though, when you came here? Because you didn't come here having a job lined up. You had to get here mm-hmm. and then figure that out, which I know for... Many people who immigrate, it can be like impossible to figure out. Just like paperwork can be ridiculous. Right. Yeah. So did you find it to be, find a lot of resistance in that process? Was it something that you were eager to, to take on? Can you just talk through that, those early stages? Oh, absolutely. So um, I, when I came over here, you know, I'm not sure if you know the whole process for uh, visas and things like that. You need 
um, an H1 visa to actually um, to actually work. And then not having a visa when you come here, that is very, very, very hard. So now that was, um, uh, and at the point of time though, it was, you know, it was, I think it was easier than now to actually get a nation visa and actually get a job. So that process took me about uh, 10 months or so where I was trying to figure out, did I want to study? Did I want to find a job? And at that point of time, it just happened. I was really debating between doing a master's and then finding a job. And it just so happened that I happened to find a job before I did the master's. So, so that is how it worked out. So it was, um, it was it was very hard for me because coming here, you know, not knowing anybody and then staying at home without interacting with anybody was super, super, super hard. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, but you 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 weathered it pretty well because you ultimately go on to work at some pretty you know important positions at several high profile financial institutions, including HSBC, Capital One, BMO Harris. Now Talk us to how does Zinda come together as a company? What's the impetus for it? And is it, is it because of a collection of experiences from your background? Oh, absolutely. It is definitely because of a collection of the experiences from my background because, um, you know, when I started my job, I was a developer. Uh, but immediately I moved from a development kind of position more into a team leader kind of position. So by the time I was about 23, I was already leading people and, uh, you know, then the teams became bigger, departments, you know, huge initiatives, global initiatives, et cetera. So I, I immediately jumped into, uh, you know, problem solving from a technology perspective, more into how do you get everybody involved to problem solve and how do you get everybody involved to, uh, you know, um, solve big issues? How do you, get people motivated. So I jumped into that kind of mode pretty soon. And uh, one of the things that I saw um, working in these large firms is that it is hard in a large firm when you have a global team to kind of get everybody um, involved and uh, motivated around this. And um, uh, the existing enterprise systems really didn't help too much with this. Uh, because, so that is really the birth of uh, Zinda, if you will, because really we needed to uh, create something that is easy for managers and leaders to uh, to easily bring people together and uh, you know make an impact in a you know fast. Sure. Now most people could face that issue and just be like, "Well, that's the way things are." So, what part of you is like, you know what? Why don't I build a company around this? Um, that is a good point because from the beginning. I was all into um, entrepreneurship, right? It's all about within a company, you know, from the beginning, even though I was in a financial organization, most of, you know, when I think back on most of the uh, kind of entrepreneurship projects that I did, it was always about people. And I remember the first thing that I did was about uh, doing some kind of a timesheet thing because we needed to do timesheets and we didn't have any system for that. So I developed a system for that. So what I, you know, I've always kind of um, gravitated towards um, solutions that help people either become productive, uh, you know, get to know each other better, um, uh, or, you know, to really make people do their job more effectively. So that is what I've always been drawn towards. So for me, um, 
going from entrepreneurship to entrepreneurship was not so much of a big jump. Although I had, I had no uh, idea that I would ever become an entrepreneur because I thought, you know, I was happy with the corporate kind of um, job and I thought that is what I was going to do. But then, you know, once I started thinking about uh, what I wanted to do and once I started realizing that, hey, this is a problem that needs to be solved and no matter where I go, um, handling it or solving it is hard from within the belly of the beast, mm. right? So that is when I realized you really need to go outside the system and solve it. So it was, uh, you know, even though it was, it was not something that I thought I would ever do, actually transitioning wasn't too, it wasn't too hard. You know, it wasn't too much of a leap for me. Let's talk now about the main topic for today, which is all about finding the right customer acquisition strategy. So you make that leap, you build the mm -hmm. software. Yeah. Now, what was the initial theory? You mentioned at the start of the show, the hands-off approach. Mm -hmm. Now, tell us why, like, why was that your initial approach and sort of what, what did you see as the results from that? Sure, sure. The initial approach, you know, we are a SaaS platform, right? And then, you know, any SaaS platform that I have used, I really haven't had any contact with any salesperson. I've used probably 20 different SaaS platforms as part of, you know, as part of uh, when I started my company. And so for me, that seemed like a natural way of, selling where you know you have a mechanism by which you you have this information put in front of people that hey this is a product that is going to solve your problem they have this automatic onboarding you know you do everything automated behind the scenes and that's it right so for me that was and uh, you know when you're thinking about scale and when you're thinking about even when you're thinking about you know funding for your company you know this is the advice that everybody gives you right try to make it as automated yeah, automate, as possible. Automate, automate, Right, automate, automate the heck out of it, right? So that is, that has been my, you know, that is, that is what I understood based on the platforms that I saw and the advice that I was given based on, you know, based on everything. So, so, so for me, it was like, that is what we uh, tried to go for initially, which is, hey, we have a platform. How do we get in front of people? How can they onboard? And then I don't even need to talk to them and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... It was essentially outside forces, more or less, whether things you read or things you had heard mm -hmm. from others on how to build. And so you went with this hands-off approach. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, my assessment of that is, knowing what I know about building SaaS companies, is that like, especially in the early days, you want to be as hands-on as possible because you got to learn about your customers, right. know what makes them tick, know what's going to yep. work in a sales conversation and know how they use the product. So... Mm -hmm. What type of resistance did you face or can you talk through in the hands-off model where you're trying to automate everything? Like, let's, let's start here. What was the process to acquire a customer mm -hmm. in the hands-off approach? Sure. So our process was initially, it was all about social media awareness kind of thing. You know, I would post on LinkedIn, have a little bit of a Twitter, Instagram kind of thing going on. And the, and the purpose of it was really awareness to my network as to this is, you know, this is what we are doing. So that was our initial thing. And then later what we did was we actually had a, a customer who was in the real estate space and we had, you know, excellent use case, uh, excellent case study. We had um, uh, a great um, uh, output from them where they actually increased their sales 50%, uh, sales productivity 50% after using Journeys from Zinda. So once we got that, we are like, okay, then, then we should really be able to automate it 
where all we need to do is we need to get in front of people like Liz. So Liz is our customer. We just need to find people in front, people like Liz, and then put this in front of them, and they just gonna buy, just like that. So that was our, you know, that was our uh, pipe dream, right? Yeah. So, so that, so that is what we tried to do, where we, where we said, okay, let's actually go to LinkedIn and find people who kind of sort of look like Liz. Let's actually do a, uh, a, um, a marketing campaign where we, you know, where you, you know this thing, right? We, you send them three messages. The first one is like, hey, do you have a problem? Second one is more like, hey, let's solve the problem. Third one is, hey, we have an answer for you. Boom. <laughs> right? So that was our, that was our you know, three uh, message kind of email that went out. Now, was and that it, through like, was that through just posts on the, uh, the Zinn the page? Was it through direct messages or through email? Direct email. It was through direct direct email. So, oh, so emailing them. Okay, so you found their profile yeah, on LinkedIn, yeah. scraped the address. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And and you have a lot of people who actually uh, say that, uh, hey, you know, this is a way to do, right, for B2B, where LinkedIn is a way for you to get your uh, customer information, you get the information, and then you have this uh, three-prong approach where by the third one, that's it. You got your customer. That's it, right? So, so, you know, that's what we tried. Uh, and um, what we realized is that it really didn't work that well uh, because interestingly, there was a lot of our, um, initially we were very excited because our, uh, the um, open rate was 20%, which is amazing for any kind of an email. The open rate was 20%. So we were very excited about that. But then what we realized is that the click rate was like really, really bad. So what, what were you uh, asking them to click? We were asking them. So with these three emails, it is three different things. The first one was, um, uh, you know, um, basically the problem statement itself, where, uh, you know, where, where we actually explained to them, you know, hey, this is what Liz did kind of thing. So it was to get into the, the quick one page or case study kind of thing. Yep. The next thing was like the video. The third thing was, hey, sign up. Okay, and so you were doing the direct outreach, but not to acquire a meeting, but to get them to actually register to use the product. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Got it, got it. And was it a yes. free trial or was it they had to pay? It was a free trial. It was okay. a free trial. We even had things like, hey, click here too for a meeting and those kind of things also. So we did have, you know, a couple of different approaches. One was uh, to set up a meeting and another one was actually to, you know, uh, to actually try the product out. Both of them were not very successful at all. So what did you find was the reason for lack of success? I think it was because of, of a couple of things. One is that we probably didn't have the right people, which is, you know, uh, Meaning, targeting, real estate. You targeting right, right, right. We're targeting the wrong people. You know, we were, so we were looking for people like Liz. We probably didn't have the exact people like Liz because it is difficult to figure out hey, how do you find a team leader in a company, in a real estate company? It's not out there anywhere. So that was, that, that was the first problem. So it is difficult to find people like Liz. And the second thing is that we probably targeted them through when it is during the height of real estate season, you know, like summer, uh, summer and uh, fall, where people were, they didn't have time to deal with software. They were busy out there, uh, you know, actually doing their job. So they really didn't, you know, they didn't um, want to deal with this. So we thought that that's probably the two big reasons why. And the third reason is that, um, again, this goes back to the product itself. You know, it is, 
our product is not journeys is not a product where it's like hey uber eats i'm hungry give me food kind of thing right. it's a little bit more involved kind of product where you really can customize it based on what they want and this really needed more of a face to face kind of explanation it's not something that where people are like oh i i get it immediately let me click it i'm going to make it work sure sure yeah and that's one of the things i think it gets overlooked often with saas companies is what level of complexity not not necessarily so what level of complexity is the software but even before that how obvious is the pain point or problem to the person already mm-hmm. yeah and are they already looking to do something about it if those answers are yes or if it's high high obviousness they're already looking mm-hmm. then you make a better case for automated just sign up and especially if how you use the product is so intuitive mm-hmm. but if it's a case where you have to really talk to someone to uncover if a problem exists and how deep is that problem and there's there's multiple i'm sure in your case there's multiple decision makers with some of your customers Absolutely, right those are yeah. not things mm-hmm. and especially if you're going towards larger organizations those are things it's just really hard to automate mm-hmm. you know un- unless your software is like I don't know, like a timer that tells them when they have been working on a project, you know, like something that's just like something. So uh, you don't have to think about it now, given that structure or, Mm -hmm. or, or, or what you learned there, what was the first thing you changed? The first thing that we changed is stop the campaign. <laughs> you <laughs> know, we said, you know, there is, there is no point just, you know, spending more time on this uh, digital campaigns. We stopped it. And uh, then try to reassess what, you know, what do we need to do? What do we need to do to actually uh, get in front of these decision makers, right? Um, So, because one of the things that we also realized is that, you know, Liz, who was our first customer, who loved Journeys and who had this amazing results with Journeys, one of the things that we also realized is that she is not a typical real estate leader. Mm. So she actually happens to be a CPA, an MBA process geek, which most of these people aren't. So, you know, we were actually using Liz as a way to get to other people like Liz. And we realized that other people are not like Liz. And we actually needed to, it's not, they're not going to be self-starters. They're not hungry to find these solutions. So we really need to have a different approach for, uh, I mean, a different, uh, maybe even a different case study that we need to put in front of them and also a different approach to actually finding them as well. Yeah. It's so that's an interesting point because you have to be very honest about is the one customer you have at that point truly representative of the larger Mm -hmm. market or are they an outlier? So I want to, I want to talk to you a little bit more about that, but before I do today's conversation is really all about getting into uh, Zinda's sales strategy. And I think that's, the right time to introduce a new partner of the podcast in Sales Hacker. So if you've been a longtime listener here, then you know that I try to feature more B2B startups on the show or startups that might be a marketplace but have a B2B side. In this case, Zinda is a B2B company. And Sales Hacker, if you're not familiar, is the world's smartest community for forward-thinking B2B professionals. They got 135,000 members, and that means whether you're a CEO, a head of sales, or a sales rep, Sales Hacker helps you get better at your job, plain and simple, with podcasts, articles, webinars, and research from actual sales experts and practitioners, including yours truly. 
There's no fluff from outside content marketers. It's just the straight dope to grow your sales acumen. I really love what they're doing over there, and I'm so excited to have them now as a partner of this podcast. You can join the Sales Hacker community for free at www.saleshacker.com. Again, you can join the Sales Hacker community for free and get access to all the articles, the research, and more at saleshacker.com. Today on Startup Hype Man, the podcast, we are with Deepa Kartha, the founder and CEO of Zinda.xyz. And coming into the break there, we started to talk about how you came to that point where you realized your customer who you had on board was an atypical customer or not necessarily representative of the larger market. Now, what made you see that, okay, hey, most real estate agents are not process oriented or not like data geeks? Mm -hmm. um, I, think it was, I think it was that when we actually started talking to people, so I, you know, I gave up the, um, the marketing strategy and actually started talking to people. And once I actually started talking to people and when they started talking about their business processes, where they, you know, so because Liz, for example, had a process where she actually gets people really working together. Her entire team works together as a nice community and they help each other. They collaborate. And then when I actually started talking to some of the other folks, they're like, no, no, we are competitors. You know, the manager and the person are competitors. I don't want them to know my information. And, uh, you know, so that's when, and when I, when I heard a couple of people started saying that, that's when I started thinking about, is there, is there a, you know, is there a problem here? Because, you know, with Liz, it is all about, she has an excellent strategy that works, which improves her sales productivity, which, which gets everybody, you know, uh, um, going, rising up together. But that is not the typical kind of culture in most companies. And I cannot be going in and asking them to change their culture. You know, I have to actually work with the culture that they have and give them a solution that works with their culture rather than tell them, hey, you change your culture and you're going to get better results. That's not going to work. Right. So that is when I realized that, hey, first of all, you know, Liz is an atypical kind of, um, uh, you know, kind of customer. It's not that the software won't work for that. It is more of how we position the software, yeah. not as an engagement collaborative kind of software, but more of a, instead of a team productivity software, more of an individual productivity software. How you position the software. So that was leading into my next question there based on what you were telling me. What did the new positioning become? Uh, or what did the new value prop become? Mm -hmm. So actually, uh, the new value proposition for this particular uh, kind of um, customer actually became more of uh, from an individual productivity. Um, so we could actually have an individual productivity software but from a team perspective, it is more of communication, et cetera. So instead of, you know, having the software be something where, hey, everybody can see everybody's data and you might have leaderboards and competitions and things like that. I mean, you would just compete with yourself, but you would have the team environment where there is, you know, good communication, uh, you know, communication would be there, but not necessarily knowledge sharing. Mm, got it. So it doesn't necessarily have to be like, uh, a rival to Slack. Well, maybe communications there. So it is Slack-esque in the fact that it offers communication. But it, you were worried less about being like this catch-all, um, mm -hmm. where everyone has access, has global visibility into everything, right? And more about like one person uses it for their needs, and then mm -hmm. when necessary, they can communicate with others. 
Exactly, exactly. Because because what we you know what, one of the things you know from um you know in the past few years they've also been um, honing the product as well, right? Because it's all of these things that are going on in parallel, right? right? But all of these marketing and sales is happening. The product has been you know we've been honing the product as well, and what we you know what we have actually realized is that this is a product that is that helps um, organizations with their agility. You know how do you how can organizations be agile? And, uh, you know, how do you make sure that everybody knows what, what is happening? How can you get everybody involved in, uh, you know, getting to the destination that you want to get to? So what we've realized is that we actually have various components of the software and we talk about the various components depending on the customer. Uh-huh. So we don't actually provide the entire shebang and say, hey, these are all the things that you can do. Hey, we have a connector piece. Maybe some, some people need the connector piece. We have a pulsar piece. Some people need the pulsar piece, you know, an action piece. Some people need the action piece. So we actually started personalizing the solution based on the needs of uh, needs of the people. What does that bring us to then as far as the current customer acquisition strategy? So we learned the hands-off approach wasn't working. Yeah. We started to get into just like actual conversations is it now a largely it is an email campaign but the goal is to book a meeting is it something else so we are um we are, i've actually gone completely away from email campaign now and now my approach is really very partner and association based so for example for real estate what we have is that we have a real estate associations and one of the real estate associations is a it's the customer of ours where you have real estate associations where you have a bunch of volunteers who need to really do a lot of work. But guess what? Everybody's really busy. And then, so so people don't end up doing all of that. So this is like an accountability tool for real estate associations. So now what we've seen is, now what we have is that the people who we are selling into real estate associations, the people who are using the software are the people that eventually would be, um, you know, would be interested in using the software for their own team. So the advantage is that they actually get to experience the software uh, in a different kind of setting where they can see how they can use it, not only for the association, but also for their own teams as well. So it really became more of a channel distribution model? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. What kind of, channel and partner based. What kind of uh, results have you seen leveraging channel and partnerships so what we've actually seen is that um what we've actually seen is that you know people are you know once people are actually starting to use the software because now it is a you know it is a non-salesy way of uh really presenting the software to them right because they they have a genuine problem in a unstructured kind of setup where whether they're in an association or a board and things like that they have a genuine problem that we are solving with the software. And what I'm seeing is that people are actually seeing this and they're like, oh, it's, you know, without us having to tell them, hey, you can use it for your own system. I can see the light bulb, you know, kind of going off mm. saying, oh, by the way, I can use it from my team. Yes, you can use it for your team. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. So you create the use case in an area that is not related to their business. Mm-hmm. But then once they start using us in this volunteer capacity, right. either you nudge or they on their own realize, oh, this mm-hmm. would be great to use right. for, for the actual business operations we have. How do we buy a license? Uh, absolutely. Because, because what, I've, what I've also seen is that 
people don't want to try new software. I mean, you know, I'm actually probably an outlier because I want to try new software <laughs> so that I can play with it and see what happens. Yeah. But most people don't want to try new software. But so if you're able to get software in their hands, mm -hmm. which, you know, where they're able to use it and solve a problem, then they are much faster adopters of the software. And they themselves come in and talk about, oh, we can use this for this kind of thing. So I found that that kind of an approach, which is an indirect yeah. approach, is working so much better than the direct approach. But, but, but that is probably for the next couple of years or so. I can definitely see... I can definitely see that we'll come back to once we have, uh, you know, uh, more customers. I can definitely see us coming back to the whole marketing thing. We probably were a little too early to sure. do that marketing campaign earlier, but in a year or so, I can definitely see us going back to that. Well, yeah, especially too, as you look towards scale, you'll need mm -hmm. to have that more direct, like, right. where you have a better forecasting over the cycle, how long it's going to take to acquire yeah. a customer. Yeah. Um, the one of the things you said was that um, they they use the software, they like it, and then you're able to step in uh, and, mm -hmm. and essentially offer it to them. And, and it's currently the, the as you said, the indirect model. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but but you also said with that nobody likes to try new software. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really there's a lot packed into that simple statement that you made because and I think it's a lesson for everyone in that. You're right. Nobody likes to try new software. People do, however, like to have annoying things solved for them, or they like sure. to have their problems solved for them. And that, mm -hmm. I think, is one of the fundamental sales and marketing lessons. It's something that I espouse to the companies I work with, is that you are not in the business of putting software in their hands. You are in the business of helping them get closer to a solution to a thing that is bugging the hell out of them, mm -hmm. right? And that's the, that's the difference here. And that's where even you're using an indirect model to achieve that result of um, getting them to see, hey, this thing that's been bugging me, there is something that I can use to mm -hmm. alleviate that problem. It's not about put software. It's not about try software. It is about uh, erase problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. And some of, the, some of the other ones that, you know, some of the, again, indirect, a lot of what I'm doing right now is indirect. And um, so there is a, um, a newspaper that actually have, they have a challenge called uh, a fitness challenge that they have that, where they're actually going to be working with a lot of companies in the, uh, in the Chicago area. And uh, we're sponsoring the, you know, we, we're a sponsor and we are, they're actually going to be using journeys for this challenge. So this is the accountability module uh, for journeys, the connector and the accountability module of journeys which they'll be using. And there is going to be, you know, hopefully a lot of companies using it. So again, putting the software in people's hands for solving another problem, but then, you know, it'll give, uh, you know, it'll give uh, them ideas about, hey, this is the same thing that we can actually solve, something similar that we can solve in our, you know, in our company as well. So we're doing a lot of these working through associations and boards and things like that because they have a problem and they, there is nothing in that space that solves them, that, that solves the problem for them. And then, but it also gives us access to people who have a genuine problem at their workplace as well. So again, it, it's a very indirect kind of model. Like I said, probably for the next year or so, but then we will eventually go back to a direct model as well. My final question before we do our wrap up 
is how much do you feel that the early mistakes around that marketing campaign you tried and didn't have success with, how much now, not just how do you feel, I think I know the answer, how much did it help, but like how thankful are you that you did make those mistakes early on? Or are you not? Oh, I am very thankful. It's, uh, you know, the one thing that I've realized, um, Raj, is that, you know, we, from when we started in 2016 to where we are, we have pivoted a little bit or more every single week. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's you know, I, I, I wanted to build a totally different software, solve a totally different problem. But once we started talking to people and once we started trying things out is when we realized that, hey, we need to continuously pivot. So I'm very, um, very, very thankful for the early experiences, but I am still pivoting and I'm still learning every single week because I think the biggest thing, favor that we can do ourselves is to kind of keep our minds open and understand, you know, be very conscious of what we are doing, cognizant of what we are doing and understand the results that are coming in and constantly learning from it. So this is, uh, so this is, I don't think I'm going to, you know, we're going to stop doing this for the longest. I don't know if we were, if we were ever going to stop doing this. So this is, you know, so early mistakes are great. And I think we, we are going to continuously make mistakes and continuously learn. And as long as we are moving in the right direction, which is, hey, there is one less thing for you to uh, try and fail, right? So that is, a, that, is a, that is a good part. And then hopefully what is left at this point in time are things that are going to be successful. I often think the road to product market fit is like screwing in the leg on a table where it's like you just turn it once, the leg is dangling. And you turn it another turn and it's dangling a little bit less right? until finally you've made enough rotations of that screw to where the leg is secured in tight. And now you can actually eat dinner on that table. But to get to that point, it's like, you're not really still, you're still not eating dinner yet. Cause it's on a slant. It's a little bit janky. Right. And then mm -hmm. ultimately you figure out the exact amount of, you know, essentially tightness on the screw that fits the leg onto the table. And you can actually sit down and use that table. A very good example. I totally agree. Uh, can you let our listeners know where they can learn more about Zinda, where they can uh, find you? Oh, absolutely. So our website is called www.journeys.com, J-O-U-R-N-Y-Z. No E, no S, J-O-U-R-N-Y-Z.com. Uh, so you can uh, know all about that. And, and the, I will say there, the, the caveat or the important thing to say because we've been saying Zinda this whole time is your primary mm -hmm. product that you offer is called Journeys by Zinda. Yeah. So yeah, your website then is the product mm -hmm. Journeys. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. That's right. That's right. And I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. So you can find me there. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, so, so uh, check out our website. You can see, uh, you can see uh, what Journeys can do. You can see the various uh, customers, the use cases. And you can actually, you know, if you're interested in um, seeing a demo of Journeys, uh, you can contact us. You can set up a demo of Journeys directly from there as well. You can even try a free version of Journeys from there. So that is available as well. So lots of options for you. To wrap up, we will each give our top one or two takeaways from our discussion today. The topic was finding the right customer acquisition strategy. I will go first and let you um, cap off from there. So to me, I think... Um, the, the, the big things that stood out to me from this discussion are being open to 
the non-traditional way to acquire customers. You may have heard it's gone one way. You may be told to do it one way, but at least in your case, you found, you know, you probably weren't thinking at the beginning distribution through partnerships and, and channel partnerships and relationships is going to get us customers, but that's what you ultimately found. So keeping that open mind towards alternative methods to customer acquisition. Deepa, top one or two takeaways or lessons for the listeners? Um, probably talk to people like you, Raj, where, you know, you have, uh, you know, you have a lot of experience working with a lot of startups. So, you know, for, you know, for people like me, it is to, you know, to continuously talk to people who have been involved with other startups and other SaaS companies, because, um, you know, uh, there are things that you probably could have told me that I had to learn the hard way. <laughs> so that is really my takeaway. <laughs> All right. So the takeaway here is we'll be having more conversations with one another. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Um, my final question here before I let you go, fill in the blank. Entrepreneurship is? Magical. Tell me more about that. Entrepreneurship is, uh, you know, on one hand, it is really all about, uh, you know, the whole, um, the whole business aspect of it, which is, hey, I need to build my own business. Uh, I need to get the revenue. So there is that whole quant aspect of it, right, which is all about building the business. But on the other side, there is this huge self-discovery aspect of it, aspect of entrepreneurship where, you know, once you actually start a company, you really know what you're made of. You really know how to, you know, interact with people. You really know, uh, you know, almost a little bit of who you are and where you want to go. It's a little bit of a, you know, for me, it's a little bit of a spiritual journey as well, you know, doing entrepreneurship. So for me, it is, it's been a, uh, a huge, uh, a hugely, I'm running out of words. It, it's been a huge deal for me yeah. uh, to actually start a company and really discovering what am I made of? What do I want? What do I want to do for the next 20 years, etc. So for me, it's magical. Fantastic. She is Deepa Kartha, founder and CEO of Zinda. Entrepreneurship to her is magical. Deepa, thank you so much for joining today on the show. Thank you, Raj. Thanks for the opportunity. That concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, you can share this episode with a friend or you can leave a rating and review on the Apple Podcasts page. When you do that, it boosts us in the search results and ultimately that means more entrepreneurs will listen, which means we share the message, we spread the mission and support more entrepreneurs at the end of the day. You don't have to stop with the podcast if you want more. And if you are interested in telling your company's story better across your demo calls to investors and to any audience you seek, well, then why not have a conversation with me? Head to startuphypeman.com, fill out a form there, and let's talk. If you've got recommendations for future guests for the show or you want to be a guest on the show yourself, email media at startuphypeman.com. That'll tie a bow on this one. Thank you again to this week's guest for joining. I am Raj Nation. You have been listening to Startup Hype Man, the podcast. We will see you next time. Hype Man out, word up, raise up. Got you howling at the moon. Yeah. This is dance with the devil, girl. Instead of sundown, too. Yeah. This is dance with the devil, girl. Tell me what you're gonna do. This is dance with the devil, girl. And if you can't get it loose, then they fall into the truth. It got you howling at the moon. Yeah. This is dance with the devil, girl.
should dance with the devil, girl. Tell me what you gonna do. Yeah, this should dance with the devil, girl. And if you can't get a loose, then it's, it's a dance with the devil.